essentially what this report concludes is that the governor lied on this official form, which is potentially an impeachable offense. Eric Greitens' legal and political troubles keep getting worse. Last week, another report from a Missouri House committee alleging criminal wrongdoing and unearthing a lot more about the governor and his campaign to become governor. I'm Brian Ellison. We'll dig into that report and hear how the controversy may be affecting the laws of the state, this time on Statehouse Blend, Missouri. It's been less than a month since a House committee, the Special Investigative Committee on Oversight, released their first report. In case you somehow missed our episode about that, and also missed every other news report in Missouri for the past month, that one was about the conduct of Governor Eric Greitens in an affair he has admitted having with his former hairdresser. The report included accusations that many lawmakers called disturbing, accounts of sexual encounters that many have called abuse or assault. The governor was already under indictment for invasion of privacy related to the affair, but the report was a turning point. It led to a growing consensus, first among Democrats and then most Republicans too, that the governor should resign, and a growing chorus began to freely throw around the I-word, impeachment. Which brought us to this second report. This one, rooted in an investigation begun by Greitens' fellow Republican, Attorney General Josh Hawley, centered on a charity founded by Greitens a decade ago and on a list of donors that Greitens' gubernatorial campaign should never have had. Brian Lowry and his colleagues at the Kansas City Star have traded sleeping for reading transcripts of testimony and depositions released by the House Committee, and he agreed to take us back to the beginning of the charity, The Mission Continues. He starts this charity that's meant to help get uh, veterans who come home from Iraq and Afghanistan to use their skills to better their communities. It's really about civic engagement and utilizing the skills that veterans have. And it becomes this very well-regarded charity. Greitens becomes, celebrity is the wrong word, but he becomes a kind of figure of almost national prominence. He's got this other entity before he has a campaign organization. It's called the Greitens Group. Right. Which what is, what it's is a, the Greitens Group? It was an LLC. It was kind of his all-purpose uh, business that, you know, handling profits from the book deals. And the Greitens Group didn't manufacture any products, really, <laughs> other than Eric Greitens, there right? Were, Eric no Greitens, Eric Greitens was the product. I mean, I think probably the term group was probably used loosely there. I mean, he, he well, he did have some staff working for him. Which uh, turns out to be a key fact. Uh, right, the, right. The, the, what those staff uh, do at his at his direction. But but in the meantime, he, he still is the CEO of the charity at the same time that he He's got this for-profit right. place called the Greitens Group. So in, in 2013, we read in these reports, he starts to consider running for office. Starts to consider running for office. And th- these various entities were all very interrelated to the extent that the Greitens Group, for example, was really handling that early campaign work. And... At some point, there is this transfer of there's this transfer of data from the mission continues, which is a donor list, and it's a donor list that has a lot of detail about here are the people who gave 
to the Mission Continues, a charity where Greitens was very much at the center. Here's how much they gave. Here's right. uh, here's their all their contact information. And, and this donor list is out there before there's even really a campaign committee right. formed. Right. It, it ends up getting, I think, shared with the Greitens group. The Mission Continues ends up sharing it with the Greitens and group the before group it's has these, shared with the campaign. And, uh, right. And there's these staff members of the Greitens group uh, who who will go on to be the staff members of the campaign. There was a book tour he was he was doing before he had officially formed his campaign. But if you read, go through uh, Danny Lobb, who was his original campaign manager's testimony, uh, that book tour was being done with the idea that this helps lay the groundwork for his campaign. And there was, I think, a very, there was an awareness of that the mission continues work will be used to help leverage. But there was even always a point of tension at that point when Greitens had to officially step down as the head of the mission continues, but was still very much touting his work with the charity. And that becomes important because there's really strict rules on charities not engaging in partisan political activity. Right, it could jeopardize their 501c3 tax-exempt status. Right. You mentioned Danny Lobb. Who is Danny Lobb? Danny Lobb's an interesting uh, character in all of this. Uh, he was a political strategist who was brought on first to work for the Greitens Group, but with the idea in mind that he's going to manage the early campaign. So he helped run this book tour. One thing that also kind of came out this week was, you know, Danny Laub testifies to the attorney general's office that, yeah, yeah, so some of the money was paid through this grant that the governor got through Washington University. Well, it turns out both the foundation that gave the grant and Washington University are now investigating that. Because, because the grant wasn't for political right, activity. The grant actually had a specific part of the agreement that it's not for political Activities. So let's go back to the donor list. Um, can we put together from this House report and all the testimony, who whose hands did it pass through? How because that's pretty critical to the the accusations against Governor Greitens. How did it get from being in sort of a private donor database at the charity to now being in the hands of the campaign? so that they could make calls to raise money using this list. Well, according to this report, it was at Greitens, it was at Greitens orders that this happened. He or who did he give that order to? To Crystal Proctor, this who's his executive who is his executive assistant. In, oh man, we need like a cast of characters for this. We episode. really do. It's like Shakespeare. Persona. Um we she she makes this transfer at his request, mm-hmm. according to the report, to other aides who are working on the campaign. Mm-hmm. And it's listed as being on the agenda of various campaign meetings, uh, campaign finance discussions. They obviously have this list. And Greitens himself would later say that the, the list was used to mm-hmm. raise, um, I think the Star right. reported, millions of dollars. I mean, do we know anything about why Eric Greitens thought it was okay, or did he think it was okay, to direct his assistant to transfer the list from the charity to his campaign. Well, the governor did not testify before the House committee, and uh, uh, but I would say that he actually there was a public statement attributed to his attorney uh, not only a few weeks ago when the uh, the indictment was announced by St. Louis that essentially said Eric Greitens built this list, and now he's being accused 
of stealing it. So and if you could, if you interpret those words from his attorney, the idea is I built it. Right. And and his and it seems like the committee heard those comments because there's a there's a little sentence in the middle of their report that says it's true that Eric Greitens had a lot to do with building the list of donors, but he did that on the charity's time. He was being paid as the CEO right. of the charity, and other people contributed to it as well. Essentially, they're trying to say Eric Greitens can't really make a claim that this is his work alone. Right. The idea is that the charity it's, – it's it really comes down to ownership. The idea is that the charity owned this list. The charity – Somehow, um, someone with access to it at the charity, at Governor Greitens, or Eric Greitens at the time's uh, request. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> according to the testimony given to the committee and un, uh, uncontradicted, <laughs> and not contradicted by anyone else, uh, he, it now is in the hands of his campaign. But it's not acknowledged in reports that the campaign files as an in-kind right. donation. This triggers a complaint after news of it came out back in 2016, right around the time mm-hmm. of the election, just after the election. Right after the AP had first scrutinized uh, some similarities between the donors and the charity. Who filed that complaint? Roy Temple. That's correct? right. Roy Temple, the Democratic Party chair, files this complaint. What is he asking for when he's filing that complaint? What, what's the possible outcome of a complaint with the Ethics Commission? You know, fine. You know, a fine slap on the wrist for the governor, really, which is what did happen, essentially. But the governor also signed some documents attesting to what he did or didn't do. So the documents, I, I'm, I'm looking at them right here. The He filed a revised report from back in 2015. Uh, he filed it in 2017 and said... Uh, There was this in-kind donation of this donor list. It was worth $600, and it was given to the campaign by none other than Danny Lobb. Yeah. Except... Danny Lobb didn't work for the Mission Continues. The Mission Continues says they didn't give that to Danny Lobb. And Danny Lobb is now saying, yeah, that I am not responsible for the transfer of this list. And if Eric Greitens signed documents that say Danny Lobb gave this as an in-kind donation, he's got a problem. Right. Essentially what this report concludes is that the governor lied on this official form, which is potentially an impeachable offense. The I-word no longer seems so unthinkable to say. Greitens is very much in danger of being the first governor to face impeachment in the state's history. Just days after the committee's second report, three-quarters of the House and Senate signed a petition to call themselves into a special session, something they've never done before, to consider impeaching the governor. With that, not to mention two felony indictments and possibly other investigations underway, I asked Brian Lowry where he sees this all going from here. Within four weeks, we will find out whether or not I think uh, Greitens will still be governor. We... We have the criminal trial, so we'll find out whether or not he's convicted of invasion of privacy. But even if he is acquitted on that, uh, there is the looming possible new trial about this felony computer tampering related to the journalist. And you have the special session already called for uh, to consider his impeachment. And I think that's why this House report was so critical was – there are probably some holes in this criminal case and the invasion of privacy, right. and there will be 
I think, you know, they plan on calling Al Watkins, who's the attorney for the ex-husband, uh, grill him about the money, and they are, there will be a lot of... Well, not to innuendo. mention the fact they still don't have the picture. Right. There, It will be a very, I think it will be a very kind of difficult sell for prosecutors to really convince people beyond a reasonable doubt uh, of these allegations. But the House has this attorney general's investigation followed by their own investigation of this campaign finance stuff and that may be more substantive towards ousting the governor from office it's going to be very difficult for him to both survive the criminal trial and the special session this month with his governorship intact i mean we could be looking at you know by june we could be looking at a new governor in the state of missouri Of course, in the midst of all the chaos with the governor, one could forget that the General Assembly is still trying to function, you know, in the normal ways. Writing laws, passing a budget. And just like any job where there's problems in the executive suite, it can be hard to get anything done. I, I, I really, really believe that the most we're going to do this year is the budget, and I think most everything else is going to die on the vine. That's part of the Democratic leadership in the House, Deron McGee, I wanted to check in with him now that there's less than two weeks till the end of the regular session, when all the bills that haven't been passed will, as he says, die on the vine. I wanted to know what impact all this Greitens news is having on taxes and highways and education, on real people's lives. Well, it's affecting it quite a bit, frankly, for the minority party that it's not such a bad thing right now because we believe that it is stopping a lot of bad legislations that will affect Missourians in a negative way from, frankly, getting through the legislature at this point. And how is it doing that? Because it seems like both the House and the Senate have passed lots of bills. The House has, yes. I would say the Senate is far less productive than the House is right now. There are some Republican senators who refuse to pass anything, and they continue to talk about Greitens every chance they get on the floor. And so that's helpful. It's, it's just slowing things down. I believe once we pass the budget, there's not anything major else is going to come out of the legislature. Well, let's talk about the budget then. Uh, you are part of the House Budget Committee. You are a member of the conference committee that will be uh, reconciling the House and Senate versions of the budget. Yes. So all this happens this week, right? This is the week for yes, the budget. Yes, it starts and we go Monday and Tuesday working out. There's 13 House budget bills and I'm on conference committee for two and three, which are the education appropriations budget bills. For example, the House passed a budget where we fully funded the education formula and we gave an extra $13 million in transportation for education. So that's how we pay for transporting kids to and from school. Well, when we look at the Senate budget process, they took out $50 million out of K-12 through education. They gave more money to transportation, and so they did not fully fund the education uh, formula. And so we've got to work out those differences. How do you see that happening? I think our side will prevail because we fully funded it last year, and it was in the governor's recommendations as well. So... So uh, from from this day, that means there's less than two weeks. Yes. The budget is a must pass. You have to and pass it has that. to be and it has to be passed by Friday. So that's one week. week away. Yes. Uh, but 
but there's all these other bills, and you said that they, they, they might struggle to get passed. Uh, maybe none of them get passed, but but there's a lot of really important ones that have gotten a lot of attention in time, including uh, proposals in both the House and the Senate to issue a pretty major tax cut uh, for businesses and individuals in the state. Well, that's absolutely right, and we've had a, we had a long debate about Representative Har's tax bill. Um, I know that uh, in the Senate they've had a long debate about it, and many of the senators on the on the Republican side didn't agree with it, um, and they passed it out, and they were looking for us to kill it um, because many of the chambers across the state, or some of these chambers are pretty conservative in nature, have told the legislature, we don't want any more tax cuts because they understand that when you give tax cuts, you have to think in terms of services you no longer want. That means less money for education, less money for roads and bridges, less money to fight the opioid crisis. And we are we are really struggling to fund some of the basic services the state provides. But, but Representative Har, for example, Elijah Har, the Speaker Pro Tem of the House, the future Speaker of the yeah. House in all likelihood, uh, his proposal, he says, would be revenue neutral that different ways of increasing revenues, whether it's user fees for things like vehicle licensing or the kind of uh, money that will now be collected from companies that won't be able to evade certain taxes, he says that it'll all work out and it'll be the same. It's just going to lower personal and corporate income tax. Well, and this is one of the reasons why I voted against Representative Har's bill. Um, I, I just don't believe that we need any more tax cuts in the state. And secondly, I have a hard time believing that you're going to make up the revenue from licensure fees at DMVs. I just have a hard time believing that when most people go to the DMV every two years. So you you don't think tax cuts will pass? I do not, no. And especially in light of the situation with the governor, as I stated before, I, I just don't think it will. Um, and, we'll, you know, we'll see where, where, where it goes. Um, but, you know, we'll see. You know, I, you know I, I, I'm curious about one other issue which uh, a lot of people on both sides of the aisle really was sure was going to get traction this year, and that was raising the state's gas tax. Uh, this bipartisan transportation task force said, you know, we have to act. The state's roads and bridges are in disrepair. We need to increase the state's gas tax. And yet, we're at the end of the session. They would have to go to the ballot. We still don't know where that stands. Well, the major problem with that was simply Governor Greitens. The bipartisan commission that you talked about had bipartisan support from business leaders, labor leaders, to, to increase the gas tax and try to get more mo- infusion of money to help our roads and bridges. And simply what happened was is that the governor came out and, and really spoke out against the commission and raising taxes to pay for this. And so that's ultimately what killed it, is, was that, that there was no leadership from the executive branch on this when it was his commission. Do you think different bills are being proposed and potentially passing because of the uncertainty who might be sitting behind the governor's desk uh, by the time those bills get there? No, I actually think the complete opposite. I think that the Senate leadership and the House leadership are trying to send the absolute necessary items like the budget um, to the governor and avoid sending anything else to the governor because there is a belief in Jefferson City that this governor will hold that legislation over members' heads in, in exchange for p- potentially a vote. So if, you know, Representative Brian Ellison from Kansas City wants to pass a gun bill um, that, you know, that is simply ha- may have made it to the governor's desk, well, I will sign and we'll make sure we make that law if you exchange a vote for impeach, uh, to not impeach me, you know. And so I think there is trying to give members an out from having potentially having conflicts with this governor. And so they're just sending absolutely the necessary items that we have to have to have basic function of government for the state right now. And then, so it's just sort of a lost year for other kinds of legislation. I, I believe that to be true. I mean, one of the issues that I'm frustrated about personally, 
I introduced uh, Blair's Law that the Kansas City Star Editorial Board endorsed, which is simply banning celebratory gunfire inside a municipality. And it has support from the NRA and had bipartisan support, both Democrats and Republicans, um, in the Rules Committee and in the General Laws Committee. And it hasn't been heard yet on the floor um, mainly because of the situation with the governor. And it's a good bipartisan piece of legislation um, that the NRA has endorsed. I don't mean to prejudge uh, any impeachment proceedings that that now are being contemplated, but, but how much will be different if come uh, later this year uh, we're talking about a governor, Mike Parson, instead of a governor, Eric Greitens? Well, I think it's going to be very much different um, where you're talking about Governor Greitens is a, was an outsider who had no elective office, no elective uh, resume when he got elected to being governor. And, and proudly so. And, yeah, proudly so. Had no relationships with folks in Jefferson City. And again, proudly so because everybody in Jefferson City was crooks and liars and corrupt career and corrupt, politicians. Corrupt yes. career politicians. And now the difference is I think you'll be dealing with the ultimate sort of insider. Mike Parsons had been a county, a sheriff in his county. He had been a state representative. He had been a state senator and now is the lieutenant governor. So he has spent 15, 20 years in Jefferson City. Um, And so, and someone who has relationships with folks on both sides of the aisle, he'd served in the House and now served in the Senate. And now he is president of the Senate as lieutenant governor. So I think it'll be very much different with the fact that you will have someone that will have relationships. And I still think he's going to have his own, the Republican ideology, but I think things will be different in the fact that he'll have relationships with his own party. That is what I think has been most of Governor Greitens' Um, initial problems is that he didn't have relationships with his party. And I think there was no sort of sense of cooperation between party leaders and the governor. Um, if you talk to very, a lot of folks in the House on my, on their side of the aisle who are friends of mine, they have very few conversations with the governor. Um, and that's very problematic when you have a governor who is a Republican and you have a Republican supermajority in both the House and the Senate. It occurs to me that there's sort of a, an awkwardness for Democrats who are are in some sense, and, and you alluded to this earlier, are enjoying the consequences of a very ineffective Republican governor. That is, it's stopping this legislation that you would find problematic Uh if you end up with a more effective Republican governor, that might be bad for your policy positions, right? Well, I don't think I enjoy what's happening. I think it's sad for the state. I think that this has caused a, a national spotlight on Missouri that is not good. I think this is a sad time for our state. I think this is the lowest that we've ever been as a state. Um, this will be the first time that we move towards impeachment of a sitting governor in the state. At 6 p.m. on May 18th, the gavel will fall on this legislative session, and 30 minutes later, the gavel will fall again to open a special session with an agenda that will almost certainly make history. Thanks to Representative Deron McGee and also Brian Lowry of the Kansas City Star for joining us today. Statehouse Blend Missouri is produced by Matt Hodap. Don't forget to follow me all week long on Twitter. I'm at PTSBrian. And if you're in the Kansas City area, join us May 10th. We're co-hosting a candidate forum along with the League of Women Voters in the special Senate election in the Kansas City Northland. Republican Kevin Corlew is facing Democrat Lauren Arthur in one of the state's few true toss-up districts. So join us at Eastgate Middle School, and you can get more information at kcur.org slash statehouseblend. I'm Brian Ellison. Thanks for listening. <laughs>